Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. We are here with our new friend and uh, soul sister, I think, Stephanie Olson. We are so excited to have Stephanie with us today. Not only is she a, uh, I want to say a thought leader and a resilience expert and uh, just a really motivational and inspirational person, but she has a special interest that Kristen and I have been talking about, and we really want to get interested and uh, folks interested in this and behind her, her project, and it's called the Set Me Free Project, and we will talk about that and dive into that soon. So Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. So We actually, full disclosure, we talked to you on your show not too long ago. And so we learned a little bit about each other in the, in the process. And we hear, we talk about this reset rise and the reveal of your brilliance. And we always talk about the reset begins with that sucker punch or that train wreck. And you have had quite a few of those. So take us through your story, how you, how you um, evolved into this amazing woman you are today. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, it all started on day one (laughs) because (laughs) we go way back because I was born to um, an amazing woman, but a very abusive father. Mm. And um, he was also um, not only, so this was the sixties and I'll say the late, 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 late sixties. Okay. 69. So I don't want to I don't want to be too early in the 60s, but I was born in the 60s. So at a time when, um, you know, my mom, I was conceived out of wedlock. So right there is a big old strike. But I was also conceived to a um, biracial couple. So my mom is white. My dad, my father was um, African-American and so already I am coming into this world with some mm-hmm. um, baggage things against me. Baggage. Yes. Like, yeah, that time exactly. that was baggage. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when, um, when I was a year old, my mom escaped from this extremely abusive relationship, which is an, a, a really important thing. And so good. Little girl other never did anything to contact me, never wanted anything to do with me. And when, when she escaped, not only did she save our lives, but I lost all contact with my biological father. Hmm. Is my internet okay here? 
It just we, came we back. Lost, okay. We lost you for okay. a second, but I think what you were what you were referencing was when your mom left, and and how it was quite literally a matter yes. of life and death for you, and um, and then that was it with absolutely. contact with your dad. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know what they say with trauma and the abandonment of a parent is that it is so severe, the trauma that happens during that time. It's extremely severe, but we, I don't think we always recognize it as the severity it is because it almost is so commonplace, Mm -hmm. which is really, really sad. Um, So for years, I wanted to be daddy's little girl. I wanted, you know, I always thought, gosh, if, if my own father doesn't love me, I must not be very lovable. If my own father doesn't find worth in me, I must not have worth. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I really started my journey. Now we moved in with my grandparents and they were wonderful, but, um, gosh, there's just no, you know, you, how do you overcome something like that? Uh, My mom got married to my dad when I was six years old, who adopted me. And I always make a distinction between my father and my dad, because Mm. anybody who is a, you know, a sperm donor can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. And um, he was wonderful, but still just not able to really give me what I needed necessarily um, in that. So spent years just trying to find that worth. And I was the biggest cliche, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places. And that was <laughs> me. I mean, and, um, spent years with eating disorders, just trying to get control of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was the drinking that really hit home for me. And, um, I started drinking in high school at a very, uh, actually I have to tell you this story. Cause it's kind of humorous when my grandparents every day would have a Manhattan four o'clock every day, this is just what they did. And every day at four o'clock, I would go to them and say, I want the maraschino cherry out of the Manhattan. And they would give it to me. Now I could have a maraschino cherry out of the fridge, but it was the maraschino cherry out of Manhattan that I always wanted because that tasted really good. (laughs) But what I realized much, much later in life, when I started to drink my very first drink or drunk, I blacked out. Mm. So that's kind of an indicator. There might be a problem. What I realized that I didn't drink like my friends you know, just like I really craved that maraschino cherry out Mm -hmm. of the Manhattan, I craved alcohol much differently than they did. And I always looked forward to my next drunk, just Mm. always looking for that. And so high school, college, I mean, the college parties turned into the college bars and there were not college bars, shouldn't be college bars, right? But regular bars for people Mm -hmm. of age. But what happened to me during that time where I was just chasing worth was a lot of additional trauma that I didn't even realize that was, was trauma. 
I was raped several times. Um, and what is so striking about some of those things, I didn't even realize that it was rape because I thought it was my fault. Mm -hmm. I was drunk. I shouldn't have done that. And, um, you know, coming out of, of, of that world and into the work that I do right now, it wasn't until I was doing this work as an adult that I realized, oh my gosh, that wasn't my fault. Yeah. So, um, a lot of trauma through that met a, uh, director of operations and programming, uh, lovingly calls our practice husbands. So I met my practice husband. I love this concept. Um, and yes, it's, yeah, you gotta, you know, it, not everyone has a practice one, but um, most of the practice husbands, not good, right? Not, not what you want. And our first year of, of our relationship, we were, we were drunk. Um, he was a drug dealer. So that's always good, right? So I mean, go. Always something you're looking for. Well, you had a hit parade, girl. You had one hit after another, didn't you? Yes, oh. yes, yes. And, and you know, it's, <laughs> I think sometimes when you've got that initial trauma, that that's what you know. And you don't know how to get out of that. It's mm-hmm. hard to get out of that. Um, so my practice husband was extremely abusive and um, just very, very, a lot of emotional abuse. Um, there was some physical abuse, but because there was not a ton of physical abuse, I didn't see it as abuse, but it was very abusive. And, you know, when you're going into a relationship like that and coming out of an abusive relationship, it truly changes who you are and how you look at yourself. Um, one day I wound up, um, just was tired and I wanted to rest and I took a whiskey, I took a bunch of pills with whiskey chaser and, um, wound up in the hospital and mm. it was the best thing that has ever happened to me. Um, because I was able to take a week. I was, I was 105 pounds. My eating disorder was just, you know, in a rage. I was um, drunk all the time and it was, it took that, that time in the hospital to really look at what was going on in my life and say, okay, is this what I want? So coming out of that, I met um, an amazing man by the grace of God, because healthy attracts healthy. And so not sure how I got this incredible guy. I practiced really, you know, hard for this. And then I get this great guy, but I was drinking every day and, and, um, every, every day I would, and I didn't consider myself an alcoholic because I didn't drink with a bag. I wasn't under a bridge, you know, these were not things that were a part of who I was and I was functioning every day and I would do things to just cut back a little bit. Like, okay, I need to cut back. I know I'm not doing well, so I'm only going to drink when we're, I'm only going to drink when we're out. 
and then we'd go out every night. Oh, or yeah, well, you know, you follow only. <laughs> that's right. I'm I'm a very committed person when it comes to things like that. I'm going to be very very loyal to my plan. Um, but that wasn't working, so I said I'm only going to drink very special occasions, and then there'd be a good Oprah on. And <laughs> hey, that is special. Hey, that is special. Now is your, was your, the, the new man, was he realizing that this, maybe this isn't the way that, that, that people live and act? Was he saying anything? You know, he was telling me he didn't like to babysit me. Mm. Yep. And, um, there were little things like that. We fought a lot during the first year of our marriage, we, we got married and I was still drinking and we fought a lot. And, um, of course I did not recognize that any of this might be due to the alcohol. Um, but when we finally had our daughter and we went through a lot of trouble there, but when my daughter, um, you know, I put her to bed and not remember I mean, I would black out almost every night oh my and put her to bed and wake up and think, oh my gosh, did I, did I put her pajamas on? Did I, I didn't remember. And hmm. I woke up to um, her room and all over her changing table and her crib was red wine all over. She slept in it all night long. Oh, and that wasn't even enough. That wasn't even enough to get me to stop. But one day um, I realized I cannot do this anymore. And um, I called AA to see how I could cut back. They don't do that. I was going to say, well, I'm kind of thinking they said, Mm -mm. we don't do the cut back. We do the cut off. You're done. Mm -mm. Yes. Yes. If I had known that, I probably would not have called them. Um, But it was just through a series of of the right people in the right places and um, just amazing support that I got Mm -hmm. sober. And um, truly changed, truly changed my life. So that's me in a nutshell. In the very beginning, you were saying that you were chasing worth. Was that, as you look at your entire journey to to sobriety, was that what you were still doing? And and has that changed, or is it still something that you're struggling with? That's a great question. Yes, um, I will say that's exactly what I was doing. Um, I wanted to feel value. I, and I wanted the pain to stop. Mm-hmm. I wanted to numb it. And that was, um, that was a big part of it. But when I was drinking, I felt more beautiful. I was funnier. I was more exciting to be around, you know, all of these things that I told myself. And so, yeah, it was really chasing that, that value and that worth. And today now, and I do have a very strong faith in God. And so a lot of that value and worth comes from my faith. And, um, 
but today I recognize, even though, yes, I do struggle with that, um, you know, just as a human being to sometimes say, yeah, okay, I did that, or I did a good job, or I do have value and not feeling like a imposter sometimes in my own life. Mm-hmm. That's just, I think, normal. Um, but it has, I think one of the things I had to come to terms with because so for so many years, I wanted to tell my biological father off and tell him I did this without you. I didn't need you. And um, what I realized was instead of trying to chase down the, those feelings of abandonment, mm-hmm. I needed to embrace the people around me who loved me. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. My dad, who adopted me when I was six years old, who, um, you know, raised me as his own, embrace him as somebody who did see my value, who did see my worth. My husband, who today, you know, my current husband, who is amazing and has loved me through all of it, um, embracing him. And so those were the things that I had to really recognize that, um, I don't need to, to focus on the abandonment. I can focus on the people in my life that really care and make a difference. And, you know, my husband, I told you, my husband, I fought for the first entire year of, of our, our marriage. And when I quit drinking, the fighting stopped. And I remember thinking, wow, he has changed through all of this. Yes. He has become a much stronger person through my sobriety. <laughs> Why would I think that had to do with me? The delusions that we that we hit <laughs> ourselves with. It's just it's and we can continue that along, you know, for forever. But yes. you know what? One of the things that you said just struck me so much when you talked about what you're focusing on. Kristen and I talk about this all the time. And it's, you can choose to live in the abandonment or you can choose to just visit it. We say, are you just visiting that place of pain or are you living there? Are you unpacking your bags and staying there? And the downside of it is, you know, we all have those negative things, but if we choose to stay there, as you rightly pointed out, look at what we're missing. Look at what is, you know, what is around us that we're missing. So you've been sober for how long now? Um, okay. I always have to do the math. I'm a year younger in sobriety than my eldest daughter. So I've been sober for 19 years now. Congratulations. Congratulations. I know what that is like. We, as I said, we talked before and you know, my son's, my son's history with uh, substance abuse. So I know that every day is a celebration, but that truly, that truly is worthy of recognition. So then you, you became an advocate for, a lot of people who could not advocate for themselves. Um, I want to talk about both parts of your, your mission, your speaking um, in general, but I also really want to make sure we get into the set me free project. So take us on the journey of how you started speaking and, and, you know, where this, this interest in the set me free project came to be. You bet. Well, I, I did start speaking out of that and really wanting people to, know um, a life of victory um, and things like that. So that's how I started speaking. And I worked with women in the area of addiction 
and mm-hmm. homelessness and domestic violence for years. Um, and I was also speaking in the schools with youth on healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. And so was doing that, was very happy doing that. <laughs> Did not need to change anything. And then one of my um, coworkers said, we should really help sex trafficked victims. That's a quote. That's what she said. Having no idea what that meant. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that meant, you know, somebody is the movie taken, you know, you, somebody gets kidnapped, shipped overseas. And I thought, yeah, well, we can help those poor women. That was my mindset. Um, and then we started research what trafficking really looked like. And it blew our minds because it did not look like we thought it did. Uh, it was happening in our own community, in our own backyard. Hmm. And our kids were the targets. And that's what I really recognized. And when we researched further, we realized, gosh, it really has nothing to do with kidnapping. The majority of trafficked individuals are never kidnapped, but it's about building relationships and most often on social media. And so when we recognized that, we thought, oh my goodness, we need to do something about this because I had been speaking in the schools. And so I had a lot of connections with amazing educators and um, I was able to bring this to them. And within two months, and this is what I always, it was just a God thing because within two months from the time that we started the conversation to the time that we were in schools, I mean, that was just two months that that's unheard of. Yeah. Unheard of. And what I saw in curriculum was a lot of fear-based curriculum, like, oh my gosh, you know, because trafficking is a horrible thing and it's a scary thing, Mm -hmm. but we've learned that fear doesn't help people overcome. It's not fear, it's empowerment. Hmm. And so as I wrote the curriculum, I wrote it with the foundation of you have an intrinsic value that no one can change. Let's just start there. Mm-hmm. And sex trafficking is just a symptom, just like alcoholism, drug addiction, anything else of not recognizing that intrinsic value. That's the bottom line. And so I wrote the curriculum starting there and then I made it, um, this was all over holiday break, by the way, so it was fast, but I wrote a lot of engagement, um, a lot of activities. I wrote it for youth and I made it funny. Mm. Now is not funny, but what we learn is that when you can bring something with humor people retain it. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a very different, and we always say today, um, because today we're now in about 400 schools across the Midwest, um, Mm -hmm. and we're selling our curriculum and our model. We're helping people do what we do in other areas. So kind of like franchise, kind of like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, supporting them at, um, and we're able to really um, see some change in kids' lives um, that was just not necessarily happening before in those areas. 
Wow. So when you're doing these, these presentations and workshops and stuff with the kids and talking about their intrinsic value, I mean, do you see their reactions? Are there a lot of kids out there that are not realizing that they have value inside? It's already there. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story because it is astounding how many kids don't recognize that Mm. we were um, doing a presentation with um, a middle school and we like to be directly in the classroom. We don't like the big assemblies. We like to be directly in the classroom. So if a kiddo needs to talk and, and disclose, they have a safe place to do that. So we had a kiddo approach us and say, I have never heard anyone tell me I have value. I have never heard that. And so we talked to him a little bit and he wound up disclosing that he was in an extremely abusive home, that um, there was a lot of physical and sexual abuse, that he was getting abused by his brother currently. And, um, and so as we talk, of course, we, we just, we got involved, we reported and normally when that happens, we don't hear back. Um, we don't know. Um, normally we don't know what's happened. Mm-hmm. And this young boy contacted us and said, I just want to tell you that um, I was removed from my home and it was, it was definitely scary, but for the first time in my life, I am safe. And that's because of you. Wow. A month later, he emailed us again and said, today's my birthday. And I just want to tell you that I'm having a birthday because of you. Wow. So that is, there are so many kids that have never heard they have value that have never heard that they're loved beyond anything else. It's there's, there's a lot of, I had a kiddo say, I'm not more valuable than my shoes. I mean, these are some of the things they, they think about themselves. And so it is um, such an important message that, that all of our kids and frankly, us adults also need to hear. Yeah. And I, I love that you're doing that because the, our, our systems, and it's a whole nother show that we can do, but the systems are failing the kids so miserably, but if this is the missing piece. Because even if the system is working in their favor, if they don't have it in themselves to say, okay, this is going to be hard, this transition like that kiddo did, but I'm worth it. Right. Because then that's when you see that it's just never going to. And if they don't have, like I I talked with, with a lot of people, I did a lot of research just for a whole different thing on if there is that abusive parent, like how do you, how do you possibly, and everybody said, as long as there's somebody in the kid's life that's yes. stable and can, you know, almost make up for it or, or a safe place to go. But there's so many kids that don't have that because there's, yeah. you know, those abusive relationships, it has destroyed the entire, the entire support system around that kid. Yes. Yes. So when they're and getting that message, that's huge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. So Here's one of the things that struck me. Kristen and I were actually talking about this yesterday when we were when we were talking about this interview coming up and we were talking about the whole idea of sex trafficking. And I think movies like the movie Taken 
have really done kids harm in, in a sense, because they think if you aren't kidnapped and shipped off, then, then it's not that. Right. That's And, and, and I think that, you know, being able to talk to these kids and shine a light on it and at the same time, disabuse them of the idea that what's going on is on some level normal, right. And then empower them because if they don't see that extreme in their lives, they just, well, that's not what that is. Exactly. So, I mean, I think that's an important part of educating people as well. Like just when you say that, that, you know, sex trafficking is going on in our own backyards, most of us think, how is that even possible? So right. how is that even possible? Like, what does that even yeah. look like in, in a, in, you know, our suburban, like perfect neighborhoods that we think nothing bad happens in? Yeah, that's, an excellent question because that's exactly what happened. We have organizations that are supposedly experts in this industry that go into schools and will talk about sex trafficking and we'll go in and say, okay, let me ask you a question. Now you've learned all this. Do you know you're at risk? They have no idea because it's this sensationalism that mm -hmm. is so exciting. And what's, what's actually happening and what it looks like is um, traffickers will find somebody that they consider vulnerable. Now, vulnerabilities are something we all have. They're not necessarily weaknesses. We can be, um, we can be vulnerable because of our age. That's not something we can control. Mm -hmm. um, but there are vulnerabilities like poverty or um, or mental illness, things like that. But there could be a vulnerability, like I'm on social media and I just told everybody I'm mad at my mom and boom, somebody swoops in and sees that and takes advantage of that. Hmm. So traffickers groom our kiddos hmm. and grooming our kiddos. So let me just define human trafficking really quick. And then mm -hmm. I'm going to go a little backwards. So human trafficking is the buying and selling of a human being for the personal profit or gain of another through force, fraud, or coercion. That's, that's what it is. It takes three people, the buyer, the seller, the individual being trafficked, and there's an exchange of something of value. That could be money, that could be drugs, that could be a place to stay, whatever it is. Now, the force, fraud, and coercion piece is really important because with adults, we have to force, fraud, or coercion. With youth, we don't have to prove that. With sex trafficking, any commercial sex is considered sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. But we always hear about force because it's exciting. You can make a movie out of it. Yeah, It's, it's sensational. But what's typically happening is the fraud and the coercion. So we've got fake relationships. So I go in, I always tell people this example. So I could, Kristen, I'm going to use you here. Um, I could go ahead and kidnap you and throw you in my white van after this interview. Fortunately for you, we're in different states. But if I did that, threw you in my white van, drugged you, and sold, are you going to be a good product for me? Probably not. Right. You're scared. You're drugged. Probably not. But if instead I became the mom you've never had mm. and I fill your needs, 
Maybe they're physical needs. I give you clothing. I give you a place to stay. I give you food to eat. Maybe they're emotional needs. I tell you that I love you. I tell you I have value, you know, whatever it may be, all these things. And then one day I say, okay, Kristen, we are in trouble. And I need you to do this one thing, maybe once, twice, three times max. Now, are you going to be a good product for me? Mm, Of course. Because you trust me, you love me, and you think now it's your choice. You're helping the family. Mm -hmm. And that's how traffickers do it. And because of social media, they can find the individuals they want to traffic and target them by a press of a button because we're posting our whole life on social Mm -hmm. media. And now I can target you. I can get you to trust me. I can fill that need. And then I start to isolate, sexualize you as a product and maintain control. And that's how it happens. So I may look like your partner, romantic partner, and mom and dad have no idea that I'm a trafficker. So it's insidious. That's a perfect word for it. It's, it's terrifying to think that the vulnerabilities that every teenager has are compounded so exponentially through social media and complete strangers can find that weak point and go in and, 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 help, and, and, and attract these kids. So I think at, at one of your points about just empowering these kids to know that they have worth, I think that's something that parents have to be aware of, especially at teenage years. I mean, teenagers are a mess. They're just a train wreck. Yeah. It's and an awful time of life. It is. It's terrible. I would never in a million years want to go back to that. So I I think that that is so essential because they're, they're also pushing parents away, but I think you're right that it's exactly at the point where we need to, you know, pull them closer and go, you know what, it's a, it's a tough world out there. I want you to know how important you are. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And unfortunately, a lot of parents aren't doing that. Well, I think, I think we just think, oh, ah, they're just teenagers, you know, and you, and you blow it off and they're just going to, oh, they're going to go out with their friends and it'll be fine. But there are things that we did not have in our world that we have to recognize are out there to harm our kids. People have a greater inroad than they ever did before. Absolutely. When we have access to the world, the world has access to us. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Wow, this has been so enlightening. Are there are there resources? Yeah. You have resources that people can tap into to start having conversations with their kids or what they can what we can do? Absolutely. So one of the things that we do is so we do have a curriculum from third grade through college for youth, but we also love to talk to adults in every facet. And so um, we love to talk to parents. We do webinars and, um, you know, get get people together all over and have those conversations. Um, it's It's really hard as a parent to have those conversations and all in all honesty, because you could be, I mean, I will give myself as as an example, I'll talk to my children and they're like, ah, you have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) You know, I mean, this is my business and I have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
or I'm overprotective or whatever it is. So it, it almost does take that outside person coming uh-huh. in mm-hmm. to say, this is what's going on. And this is how you can protect yourself, friends. Um, this is just really, I mean, because the reality is that kids can hear something from their parents 112 times. And then all of a sudden an outsider will say the same exact thing. And they'll be like, mom, you would not believe what I learned today. Oh my gosh. When David was in rehab, that happened to the, that happened to a T. We went to see him at a, at a counseling session and he's talking with, you know, these glowing references about the counselor and thank God for the man. But he's telling me, he told, this guy told me this and I'm thinking to myself, I've been telling you that since you were three, like what? But you're exactly, exactly right. We're that the parent is the the Charlie Brown teacher voice. Well, wah, wah, wah. They don't hear us. (laughs) So it's so important to get these other voices to, to hear all of this and, and to get these kids uh, to pay attention and to listen. So I mean, we could talk to you for forever because you're such a, an amazing, fascinating woman. And I want to I want to also kind of circle around to this and just say all of this has very much to do with resilience. And you talk about that as well. And we haven't named it necessarily in this conversation. But everything that you've talked to us about is about being resilient and about finding that power and that worth within yourself. So where can people find more of Stephanie Olson's wisdom? Because everybody needs it. Well, thank you. Would you tell that to my family? I will tell that, that to your children. If you would tell my children the same thing. Thank I, you. I feel like at the dinner table, everyone should read our bios to remember that we're amazing. No kidding. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that uh, encouragement. Yes. So there's, there's a couple of places you could find me. Um, you can find me at stephanieolson.com. That's spelled correctly. Stephanie, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E, Olson, O-L-S-O-N. So <laughs> that's awesome. And then you can also find me at setmefreeproject.net. And we're on all the social media links and, and everything like that. But um, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Well, this has been this has been an incredibly enlightening conversation, one that every person in this country should have to hear and listen to because it's so very important. So I, we can't thank you enough for your time. We again, we had a, a relationship with you before from your show, and we just think you're the best thing since sliced bread. So thank you for joining us and for having the heart to take this on because it's so important. And everybody out there, if you all are having um, some issues with resetting, rising and revealing your brilliance, head on over to brilliantlyresilient.net. We got a bunch of resources for you over there. As Kristen likes to say, and it just cracks me up, if you blink three times when you get on the homepage, all of a sudden this magical little box will appear. And you can put your, your email in it and you will get some brilliance from us every week and be caught up on all the news. Kristen, you have anything to add? Nope. Peace out. Well, that never <laughs> happens. Okay. We're going to quit while I'm ahead. So thanks everybody for joining us and we will see you next time on the Thank next you. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. Bye-bye. See y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise and reveal your brilliance.